Hello, and welcome to The Song Inside, the only songwriting podcast which explores the songs which bring us from darkness to light. We interview songwriters, we go deep. I'm your song goddess, Deidre Rodman-Struck, and I'm really happy you're here. Welcome. Hello, and welcome to The Song Inside, Hudson, New York edition, or Claverack. What's the name of this town? It is. It's Claverack. Claverack. Claver- well, if you're from here, you have to say Claverack. Claverack. I discovered, because okay. I was calling it Claverack, and I was being shamed. suggested. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shamed is another word for it, yeah. <laughs> I'm with my dear friend Vicky Finney, and I am up in Hudson for a little writer's retreat on my own, and it was funny the way that it worked out, because I had been wanting to talk to Vicky anyway, since this season is about music and healing, and I called her to schedule an interview, and we scheduled it, I think, for today. Yeah. And then she said, oh, you know, I moved out of the city, and I said, where? She said, to Hudson, <laughs> <laughs> just outside of Hudson. And I said, I will be there, so we will talk in person. I was so mad. You was like, wait a minute. <laughs> it just, yeah, definitely synchronicity. So apologies to people if this is not the high audio quality they're used to, but mm. it's nice to look at somebody in person. Yeah. A dear it's friend. So each other. It's really nice, and I yeah. love her. Just she's living this dream of so many people, and especially New York City dwellers, of getting out, getting into the country. It's beautiful cabin and she has a little writing shed mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah it's it beautiful is, it is really beautiful and i still feel um i was trying to i was saying that to you probably multiple times as we were kind of like having a look around um i feel sort of still shocked um that i'm here because i didn't expect this at all it's like a kind of there was a sequence of events that ended up with us me and my family kind of coming up here and um we were in Brooklyn, and uh, and then there was a global pandemic. I don't know if you remember that, but um, <laughs> what? that sort of made our circumstances in Brooklyn untenable. Like we just yeah. couldn't stay there, um, and so we we ended up coming up here. But I I'm a city person. Like I've got a funny accent. <laughs> I'm from I London. I wouldn't call it funny. <laughs> well, it's not funny. Um, <laughs> but I've always lived in the city. I've always always you know lived in yeah. London, and I lived in Manchester, and I lived in New York, and never in a million thousand years. I mean, I would have fantasies of tromping about in welly boots and, you know, being a country person and think, no, I could really be that, but I am absolutely have never been that at all. Um, so it is, it's really strange. It's inspiring for me because I don't consider, I'm from Idaho, but I, I, I have no desire to move out of New York City yet. I think because I have a misconception of what my life would be like somewhere but being up here this is the per- like it's perfect space it's perfectly yeah. you guys I can see how it would be possible it's and how I would cozy. love it and it's nice it's near enough you know we're near to Hudson and it's a two and a half hour drive you know down to the right. city I do go there a lot I've still got you know pull from Brooklyn from yeah. friends and working type things and-, and we really met through the biddies um because Vicky and our other friend Jody do theater together and we're friends of Saskia's and Julian is anyway yeah lots of lots of of cross connections I probably met you when we very first came in like 2010 when we first emigrated because I think I met you and Leanne and Saskia like I had met Saskia Mm -hmm. a little bit prior to that but um yeah 
No, absolutely. I'd seen right. you play and perform and sing. And, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Your voice is, well, you know, anyway. Just well, one of my I, favorite voices in the oh, world. Oh, well, thank you. True. And I, I love your family because I taught, you know, your husband piano briefly, <laughs> very briefly. Yeah. But I feel like you're the kind of family that just tries... There's all these instruments around us. You just pick up things and you try them. And yeah. I've seen you singing and playing and doing theater and just trying, put, wearing all sorts of different hats. Yeah. No, I, and that's kind of, um, is that a tyranny? I can't think of what the word is. I was actually thinking the other day, I was thinking, God, I'm always like the new girl. Like I'm always, <laughs> <laughs> I'm never, ever, ever an expert at anything. Like I'm always like an, trying a new thing. Um, a renaissance person? I, I don't, don't know. know. I don't know. I mean, I kind of think, you know, Julian, he goes deep into yeah. the new thing and then becomes kind of pretty expert at it. Although he would debate. He would probably say, no, I'm not. Um, and I I do that a little bit, but I'm I'm not sure. I kind of think I've do you think it's you? Why do you think that is? Um, <laughs> that's such a great question. I'm just wondering if it's just you have a wide variety of interests, so you see something and it's perplexing to you, and you it's a mystery, and you want to sort of uncover it a little more. Yeah, I mean, I think like when I my first thing was acting, I was absolutely completely compelled to do that. You know, from the age of eleven, I was just like, oh, okay, that's it, that's what I want to do, um, and I've pursued that like an absolute dog like I was a dog in a bone um and you know did all the thing and that was all in London and started up my career in Manchester but then moved to London, back to London you know did the thing went to college did a bunch of stuff um which now feels like a whole different life like I don't even kind of I can't how many lives do we if we're fortunate enough I think many 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 lives years, even thinking know. about you know for a long time the biddies you know, the band that I was in yeah. was my whole life. And I thought it would be my life forever. But it's like, you know, five, six, seven years. Yeah. And in the, it's a drop, really, in our yeah. whole lives. Yeah. All of those things. Like all yeah. the people that we've met that have been intensely close and yeah. then they're not. And you think, wow, you know, it, it's, it's really, really interesting. And now the pandemic, we all get to start an, another yeah. life again. Yeah. And I think it's that, like, I, when I started to have kids and um, I became a stepmom first um, and felt everything shift with that, you know, that was the biggest pivotal kind of moment in my life, meeting my the, the girls who became my stepdaughters. And uh, they, I, anyway, they, they just are extraordinary, extraordinary people and um, changed everything in terms of how I looked at everything in, in the world and um, and then and then just having my own kids and sort of stepping away from being an actor and being kind of really relieved <laughs> like I could seriously I couldn't I could pretend to see him go I made great sacrifices I was really <laughs> done with I wasn't done with the work I would still jump into a rehearsal situation and want to be an actor again but I just couldn't I couldn't do the business side of it. I just couldn't. I wasn't good at that pushy. I, I wasn't good I at the sort of I think it's the same for a lot, any freelance creatives because that was one thing that the pandemic sort of reminded me is that I don't want to hustle for $50 gigs or to try to get people to come to the club or 
if yeah. someone offers me a spot, I would I love performing. I would love to perform. Yeah. But all of the other stuff, yeah. the administrative side is just a drag. <laughs> yeah, and I think the acting the acting profession is a is a odd thing, you know. It really is. And I I've it's taken me a while to kind of come to terms with having left it because I really was there was no question that's mm. what I was going to do and it would be my whole life. And I would, that, you know, I was very ambitious and very, you know, intense about it and hardworking. And um, I I'm still feel surprised in a kind of way that I was able to kind of leave it. But I did, I did. And I, I'm not sure I have the right temperament for it. You know, I'm not mm. sure. I'm not, I, yeah, it's kind of interesting like the people I know like good friends of mine or people that I met at the beginning who are now you know very successful and are doing sort of beautiful work and really good I wasn't that I Mm. don't think I had the same kind of drive I think I had a drive but it wasn't yeah it's it I don't quite know how to kind of unravel it but I did I did leave that and I did sort of become mostly kind of being with my all the kids and then and then we decided to emigrate because of, uh, of my husband's work. He ended up doing more and more work over in America. And it felt like a kind of, wow, that's a whole different, who does that? You know, <laughs> I know, I knew people who would go and live in another country and I'd be like, wow, that's so amazing. I'd love to be somebody <laughs> who went and lived in another country. You know, it's funny because you were saying that earlier about when you used to think about people that lived in the country. Yeah. And uh, you're yeah. also that person. I oh, know, no, it's weird. But the, yeah, the emigrating thing was like a big, big old jump and a funny thing to do. Like, you know, I was 45 and I had two kids. They were two kids and my stepdaughters were at college at that point. Um, and so, yeah, we just sort of did it. And we, we took the boys and they went to this local public school. And I'd still, I still didn't know how long we would be. Like people say, hey, you're here for good. And I was thinking, I can't, I can't make any response to that like I didn't know I would be here at all like I can't I don't know what's going to happen maybe we'll move back maybe we won't and we didn't well at least we haven't yet um so yeah that was I don't know there was a question at the beginning (laughs) it's interesting because I'm just thinking about what compels certain people to want to be certain like Mm. I know people that wanted to be jazz players and have single-mindedly worked towards that goal and have become very successful. You know, the thing is you you want the Grammy and the review and downbeat and to be touring and to be making a living doing it. And I didn't have the drive to do that. And I don't really envy people that I see that have been able to do that, but I do wonder sometimes why that wasn't in my personality to go for it in, in that in that way. I think maybe we're similar in that I, I like to try yeah. things that we were talking earlier about quality versus quantity. Yeah. And I I like the idea of just you know, it's it's okay if I'm not producing yeah all the time. Yeah. I definitely definitely agree with that. I mean as when I was an actor, I used to always feel a little heartbreak at the end of the rehearsal process when we went into the mm. the performance side. Although, obviously, that's why you were doing it, you know, to yeah. put on this play or this tour or whatever. Um, but there was always a little moment of kind of sorrow when you leave the rehearsal room. And and then there would be this incredible thing where you would realise 
just this amazing, even bigger group of people that are sort of creating this show that you see. And I used to love the tech rehearsal and sitting in the auditorium and watching it all come together. And um, But I did, I, I like rehearsing. <laughs> and then performance is a whole other thing. Um, it's a community too. I miss, I miss that about being in bands or about being part of a show is you're all creating something together. Yeah. 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 And there's nothing quite like it. Yeah, and there's sort of kind of friendships and it's like summer fairy. camp feeling. <laughs> exactly, and there's kind of deep connections. And... So, how did you come to partner with Jody on Off the Page? Oh gosh, I mean that was an amazing uh, encounter where Jody uh, has kids the same age, and her kids were at the same public school. I went in as a kind of like ah, I just I'm a day, yeah, I'm a <laughs> and you know I had at the school that my kids were at in England. I had been very involved. I'd like taught drama. I'd done my own little kind of drama projects there, and I'd been in a band there as well. Was doing music um, with with a very funny band um, and an all girls band. I wanted to call the Lazy Susans, which is the best name for a <gasps> girl band. That is so good. I know. I've still one day I'm going to be Mrs. Grady Old Lady and I will have my Please band do. called The Lazy Susans. It's going to but happen. It's going to happen. But um, yeah, that was that. And then I came over and I was thinking, well, I'll have to do what I know to do, which is like just be a kind of, hey, a parent, I'll do the stuff. <laughs> and I went in and, and did, they were doing like, it was literacy week. And I went in and read some really silly English poems with my funny accent and with these kids and just, and Jody was organizing the literacy week because she is a phenomenon. And yes, this just... is our friend Jody Dresner Alperin, who's yeah. a force to be reckoned with, yeah. activist, yeah. just amazing. She is extraordinary. And uh, we ended up sort of encountering each other there and getting on really well that day. And then she said, When you're not a mom, you're a. And I said, Kind of right. And she <laughs> said, All right. I said, And when you're not doing this, you're a kind of age. She said, Yeah, you know, actor, stage manager, like all of the things <laughs> she's done. Also, she's an incredible um, ASL expert, sign language um, interpreter. But she stopped doing that a few years ago and is doing a whole heap of other things. Um, but we decided to uh, start a, a company. I mean, it didn't start that way. We we wanted to do. We wanted to bring drama into the classroom. We wanted to bring uh, teaching drama into the classrooms because we realised that that was something that was leaving the public school classrooms. It was like going out the side door. Like a lot of the schools, certainly the ones in Brooklyn, they had a drama teacher, and then the the one the drama teacher that was at the school that my kids that our kids were at had just gone on maternity leave but they didn't replace her in mm. any way and she didn't and it didn't sort of return they didn't yeah. have to be so in fact what you've got is just nothing happening right that's bringing kind of collaboration and all those sort of civil you know those ways of working with each other and all those on your feet in your body kind of ways of functioning which is so brilliant for kids but that they often don't get a lot of um, and so we thought, let's do that. Let's bring that in. It was kind of like we had a COVID, a sort of covert mission. <laughs> I think almost said COVID mission, hilarious. Covert <laughs> mission um, to come in to the classroom, do a social studies residencies, which we did do, and also sort of ELA, English language art residencies. But it was to bring 
theatre arts Sneaky. into the classroom and have kids up on their feet, move the tables out of the way and do experiential learning. Um, and we did that for a good many years. And through that, you know, through our interaction with different students and what students wanted and needed, we found ourselves also adapting some YA, a YA novel and doing a, a production of that using youth actors and professional actors. And so the company has ended up with sort of two arms. It has like an education side and um and a uh, theatre side a theatre company side and what are the names of the branches or is it the same name it's all off the page is the name of the company off the page education.org and just recently funny enough i've just taken a little back step now from being part of the directorship um as our sort of worlds have kind of altered and changed but i'm still a creative collaborator with off the page and we've got a whole bunch of of stuff coming up and you know yeah, Jodie is an extraordinary... I've never met anybody like her who has the way of her massive big heart and empathy and compassion and her awareness of all sorts of different situations yeah. that people are in and finding a way of, you know... Yeah, that's one thing I really appreciated about her and what you guys were doing too is that I think especially for a lot of white women we want to get involved with social justice but you it's, it's sort of scary and I remember I've called Jody a number of times to be like I want to do x but I don't want to misstep like I'm a little mm. scared and you know she's always saying but you you know you're going to misstep you are absolutely going to make mistakes you, but yeah this is how we learn we try yeah um it seems very very brave to yeah. me she well she is like an inspiration to me and right. it's kind of my this is the jody fan around. cast i know it really jody, is. i hope you're listening I know. Because... <laughs> exactly um, yeah but i also thought of calling you because our mutual friend had mentioned to me that you were taking these courses to become a death doula yeah and because this season is all about music and healing it's something that I've been thinking about a lot about transit life transitions. You know, COVID makes you think about that stuff coming into the world, leaving the world and how art and music can be a part of that. Because to me, it's all just vibration and like the, the level that you're vibrating at. And I just was so intrigued by what made you decide to do that. Yeah. That, and I love that about vibration. That's really cool. Um, I've been thinking about that a lot as well. You know how you can step into a space and you feel kind of what's happening mm-hmm. with the energy. Um, so, you know, I uh, I feel like I've it, I've created a story, like an origin story for why mm. I've ended up doing that. And I think part, like all origin stories, like all stories, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of truth. And also I don't think it's the whole truth. Right. Um, Maybe you're not, you're a little bit of an unreliable narrator. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, so my mum died in 2017. Um, and she had been, uh, she had had Alzheimer's for a few years and was in a care home very near my brother's, but in England. And so I wasn't with her. I wasn't around. Every time I would visit, obviously, I would go and see my mum and had some really fantastic visits with her and also very, very hard because I was always stepping away going, I think that's the last time Mm. that I'll see her. And then then it wasn't. And then... Mm -hmm. there was this phone call from my brother where he said, this is it, you know, this is it. She's going. And my brother, I mean, 
I'm going to make myself cry. My brother, I have two brothers and a sister, and I love all of them. They are extraordinary um, and also bonkers and weird. Um, <laughs> but my older brother, Mark, lived closest to this Kahim. He had kind of arranged, like we, as a family, we'd arranged that that would be, he would be nearest, and that was just the best way, and it's a little bit outside of London. Very nice place. But he was with her, and he held space for mm. the rest of us who couldn't be with her. I think my sister was in Hungary at the time, and uh, my other brother was in North London, and he couldn't get that. So it was, he called me from her room just after she had left. Wow. Just after she had died. And he talked me through, and I knew he was in that room with her. And uh, it was really kind of such an extraordinary, I found it, I still feel incredibly grateful to him. Um, and it was a, an extraordinary gift. And it also, uh, it, it, I, I, I kind of carried a, f an, a feeling of that I was absent from that. Hmm. Even though I kind of wasn't. Like, he brought me into the room as best he could, but I also wasn't in the room. And I had a weird reaction to, after my mum had died, I was like a block of ice, cold as cold as cold could be. Hmm. I felt nothing. I really didn't. And I was kind of, I kept trying to, Right. myself to find out where did I, where was I hurting? And actually, all, what mostly happened straight after that was a flood of memories of my mum as I remembered her when I was growing up. Because all those memories had been locked away because <laughs> the mum that we had had for the previous five years really had been a very different entity, a very different person. Um, and uh, so it was this kind of flood of all these memories of my mum and and this kind of weird, sort of unemotional kind of coolness. But <laughs> from that sort of moment on, really from 2017, lots and lots of other things happened. Like we got evicted from where we had been living. We had to find somewhere else to live. We were try trying to, in England, we were trying to sell what had been the family home. And that became very difficult and traumatic. And so every kind of home that I called home was kind of going. It was like wow. slipping sands under my feet. And I went Billy Bonkers. Like I just went into a um, a bad place of kind of a lot of anxiety and kind of really out of the gourd panic attacks and kind of not... I don't know how you couldn't. It's hard enough losing yeah. one home. Because, you know, I feel like losing your mother is the, your home, really. To lose that would have been hard enough, and then to be losing these other homes, like yeah, it was a very destabilizing. It was a really destabilizing time, and but within that, I had some stuff shipped over from England. There were boxes of old books because we had a place in England, and we that went as well. So it was sort of like every all these kind of different places that I'd put my hand on and go, oh, this is my home, kind of thing, gone. And that's okay, you know, that's change and that's life and that happens. These boxes came with these books in and it was like a, I don't know, it felt like a past person like me when I packed that box and mm. put it into a box for me now. Yes, now, I, I love that, yes. I'd be, and my friend Elvie had told me that. She said, oh, you got a gift from past Vicky. I was like, okay, 
what? And she said, yeah, you meant for you to find that later when you needed it. Mm, I love and, that. And the book was by a, an English philosopher, writer, sort of uh, thought, wisdom, beautiful guy, spiritual guy called Tim Freak, F-R-E-K-E. And it's a book called In the Light of Death. Mm. And this book came out of the box like it was like one of the first books that I kind of like, I was like oh <laughs> yeah <exactly>. loading <laughs> out of the box and it was a really it's a fantastic book it's right by my bed you know it's on my nightstand always not that I always read it but it's just it's there um and from that you know how like books often have like a thing at the back saying mm-hmm. it, you know you could read this and you could you know i was right. inspired by huge Flip and bloody blue so <laughs> i kind of went down and i have every and of course every book leads to every book so this yeah. became my quest wow. of reading books about death wow including books like the fantastic book by um Moody, I think his name is. Sorry, I'm not good at remembering names of peoples um, who wrote about um, near-death experiences. And then there was a a, a, a deep dive into, um, you know, the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying by so Sogyo so Rinpoche. I'm sure I'm saying everything wrong. Um, <laughs> blame it on my accent. Um, and just every book was a, a, a new kind of extraordinary exploration and so really since the end of 2017 and until right now all every book everything I read it has you know there's some incredible it's like now I feel like I have this just these incredible teachers mm. that have come with me there's Ramdas and Stephen Levine um they set up a you know an incredible hospice there's BJ Miller who took over from um, Frank Ostaszewski, who's written a book called The Five Invitations. Frank Ostaszewski set up the Zen Hospice Centre in San Francisco. B.J. Miller took over from that. He's written a book about, um, I think it's like, um, it's it, it's a bit like the, you know, what to know when you're, what to expect when you're expecting, but it's about, it's about death. It's an incredible book. Um, so I kind of went into this inhalation like just inhaling, eating mm. all these books, and it'd be that thing where people go, "Oh, you know what we read?" When people say, "Oh, what you know, have you read any book, good books lately?" And I'd be like, "I can't tell you. I can't tell you. I can't give you my book list because you'll be worried and you'll send an intervention." Um, but but that made me think I I want to go into the, a deeper study. I wanted to do a course. I wanted to do something, or, or I actually I wanted to find community of people who were wanted to be into this exploration to think about conscious dying to not look at dying as just um the sort of last leg of of a life of medical intervention and that it shouldn't be you know the 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 sort of the sorrow of an end of life but actually can be accepted and harnessed as as what is and lean into it and walk mm. towards it um there's a beautiful writer called atul gawande who wrote a book called being mortal i think it is that's a great book and he's a, a very expert very experienced surgeon and he realized that uh, in his training all his medical training and all the stuff he's done you get to go on these carousels and you go to pediatrics and you go into your icu you go into all these different nobody goes into geriatric care and he was realizing that he was giving people advice about surgeries and he kind of thought i, I can't i'm not i shouldn't be giving them this advice 
when they are in this, maybe in their last week of their life to have, and apparently there's this terrible uh, data uh, statistic which is that you have your most operations in the last two weeks of your life of course we don't know it's the last two weeks of our life so we think right. well we want it not to be the last two weeks that's why we're doing this but mm-hmm. there's something around there's something around the way in which death is thought of and the way in which uh, hospitals are places of healing and it's very difficult because is a death a failure then in a hospital mm thinking that I consider myself like a fairly in tune person. I try. (laughs) However, I don't think of death. I just don't think about it. And the people that I know that have had close people to them die in the hospital also haven't thought about it. So it has been, it's almost like we, it's the one thing we all know is going to happen to us, but yeah. it seems like a surprise every time. Yeah. And then we're just like, prolong, 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 one more minute, one more day. And how hard, how hard that is and how, yeah. like you said, leaning in feels terrifying. And like, you have to be so brave, but if we can flip the script and see that leaning in is actually healing and peaceful and mm. we can do this in a different way that's yeah. less invasive yeah and i think there's i mean i think there is a move towards thinking about death differently i mean i think we have a an oddly allergic culture here to to death which i don't i'm not in a position to criticize that i just feel like i'm just noticing it and i think it's the same in england you know it's even a it's sort of industrialized almost because it's such an industrialized we're so we're so it's still attached to the industrial revolution in so many ways educationally and like so many different things um i just think we're missing something mm-hmm. we're missing something in our non-contemplation um that there's some incredible gold to be received from considering death and being conscious of it I mean, it's a Buddhist thing that you must contemplate death five times a day. You know, that is, that should be every day. And a friend of mine was saying, well, you know, don't get so morbid, Vic. You know, like, don't forget to live. And it's funny because actually I'm remembering to live way more in my contemplation of, of death. That makes a lot of sense to me. I'm not sure if it was the pandemic or me getting sick after the pandemic, not with COVID, but with something else. And I just started thinking about what if I'm, what if I am dying? Like, if I think about that more, would it not affect the way that I'm living? So I got this tiny little skull, the ceramic skull, and I put it, I carry it in my pocket and I just feel it. I didn't realize it was kind of a, maybe a Buddhist thing, but. I, and it's, it's, it's funny because the skull's almost kind of smirking in a way. And it just is reminding me that not to panic, but that I'm mortal yeah. and be here now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just take a breath. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it's helping me, but I, maybe it's because I'm past 50 now and yeah, you know, I, I don't mean, know. Yeah. I don't know. And I don't think it's necessary. I mean, I wouldn't ever prescribe that anybody should or shouldn't do any of the things and I also feel like a complete novice I mean like I feel a little kind of um 
humble because I feel like I'm not um, in a position to be talking in any kind of way other than in my own kind of exploration of it. Yeah, your own experience. Um, But that led me to the um, Conscious Dying Coach, Conscious Dying Institute, which is based in in, um, Boulder, Colorado. And they used to do pre-pandemic they did residencies and you would go and do this conscious dying course and they also have something called the sacred passage doula course which is a, a ostensibly it's as an extension of this conscious dying course into a doula ship um it's not i mean like it's still the early days of those kinds of courses and they are actually very much very high up in sort of creating the certification on it and how how would you organize that in terms Mm -hmm. of sort of educationally and what do people have that they then say they can do you know what is that because it's still pretty new really um and they ended up pivoting really really well into a online course which is what I did I think I was one of the second maybe the third group of students there was about 30 of us from all over the world. So this meant now that they weren't having residencies in Boulder, although I've always wanted to go to Boulder. <laughs> you'll you'll um, get there. I so want to go there. Um, but they they were able to have people. We had somebody in Bali, somebody, there was somebody, there was a lot of people in England, people all over America. There was a guy in Israel. There was like all sorts of different places. Really, really interesting. And they did a really good job with this course. It, they extended to a six-month course, we had assignments, obviously lots of assignments. We had a Zoom meeting, I think it was every few weeks, live sort of Zoom meeting with all sorts of sort of practice, a proper long, like like a three-hour class, very, very intensive and very cool. And you also had to go and find yourself um, a sort of in-the-community partner that you could then work and do this sort of coaching model that they have, which is called B3M, Best Three Months. Mm. Um which is truly fascinating, really interesting. And um, I absolutely loved the course, met some fascinating people on that course. I'm now in sort of close collaboration with one of the other people on it, who she actually lives in Washington State, so we're now on a kind of Zoomy, we're cooking something together. Um, and right now, you know, I, I did that training. I have not taken the step of like, and now I'm going to set myself up as a man. Yeah, I, just, I just know that I can't do that yet. I feel that that would be, well, people can feel whatever, but for me personally, I, am, I don't feel that my wealth of experience is deep enough for me to be in those spaces and be something of use at this point a lot of people would say you should just do it and because and it, that gets us back to that that you mentioned about vibrations and yeah. resonances and so much of this course was about you are doing this course because you it feels like a calling you are called to do this to be in this these environments to hold these spaces to provide some support for families or to whatever the very fact that you you're drawn to do a six-month course means that you already actually have a lot of the experiences and, and skills that you need 
you know, plus you have life skills, plus you have lived. Now, I can hear that. <laughs> I can look at all the faces on this Zoom course and go, yeah, they all have that, you know. <laughs> and I question it with myself. But there was a moment where I realised that my acting life, my previous existence in this acting life and improv and all of that, all of that is calling on some similar skills. It's calling on the empathy of different lives, mm. the idea of being absolutely present in the moment, not knowing what is going to happen next, keeping your heart wide open, but keeping your feet on the ground mm. so that you are there, you're real, you're open, but you're not... Uh, you're not going to kill over it. The f- you you you're you're grounded and you're yeah. present, and um, I I can see <laughs> that 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 I could I can bring that, and I'm just taking it yeah. slowly. So at the moment I'm volunteering. I'm hospice. I did a volunteer hospice training, um, so I'm taking steps of Mm -hmm. sort of finding those spaces to to be in if i'm lucky enough to be in them yeah i i really like how you're being so thoughtful about it because it is such a sacred space i've never been in a space where some i i've never been in a room where someone has had transitioned passed away their soul has left their body i've heard other people talk about it and it, it sounds most times kind of incredible mm. and maybe not like they thought it would be. Mm. Um, I suppose I, I, I coming back to lullaby since that's the other end of life yeah. that I'm often, I guess, sort of doulaing my way through helping people as they are yeah. getting ready to bring a life into the world. And that is also what, you know, until you've gone through it, you don't really know. Yeah. We can't talk to anyone who's, for the most part, like died and say, well, what was that like? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So you just have to, yeah, you know, show up as you are. It's such a mystery. It's so mysterious. And I mean, that sounds so kind of banal to say that, but I, I get, I mean, I think for, for me personally, I feel I can't think of a better project mm. than for, you know, it, it personally sort of separate from mm-hmm. if I might find myself in being of, of any kind of, you know, whatever I can bring into the somebody else's world. But even just for me personally, I want to walk towards my death open, mm. with my eyes open, with everything open. If I can, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I don't know. And I haven't um, I haven't had that question in the raw. I haven't been given a diagnosis that has given me my date stamp on my yeah. ticket. We've all got a ticket. A beautiful, beloved friend of mine was saying this when his wife got very, very sick and she has just recently died. But he and his wife were saying, look, we've all, she said this, like, we've all got a ticket. You know, we're all going. We're all coming out of here. She said, just the difference is mine's got a, it's kind of got a kind of date stamp on it. Mm-hmm. Whereas the rest of us don't, you know. Yeah. Um, 
And I don't. I'm not in that situation. And I can't, I wouldn't want to make any assumptions about what that might be. Um, but I'm very curious about it. And I, and I want, I, I want so badly to be, um, not want so badly, but I feel so energised by the opportunity to wake up. Mm, well said. Um, switching topics a little bit. I, one of the reasons I've been thinking about this a lot is because the friends that I know that have been in rooms with loved ones who have passed often speak of singing together or music being a part of it in some way. Um, and yeah. I don't know if that's something you've thought about. It oh, yeah. just made me think of it because I know that you've surrounded yourself with yeah. art and theater and music and you're exploring this new yeah. skill set and this new way of being. Yeah. So what are your thoughts about music in, in this process? Oh, God. I mean, like, music opens every gate, doesn't it? It opens every door, creates every bridge. It, I mean, all through your life. It's funny because I did, I listened to some of your other episodes, which is so good. And I was like, oh, and I've got my notes. But I, like, I made some notes because I was thinking, where, you know, and of course, once you start thinking about it, you're going, oh, that music was so important to me at that point. And I just hear a little bit of it and I'm like, oh, right back. You know, there are kind of pivotal musical moments where your head explodes like the first time I heard David Bowie my head exploded it exploded, it exploded. I was going to comment on that <laughs> I was I couldn't I, I never brought it back I, I you know it's not I've never it's never come back but you know that there, there are and of course you know you've got all that sort of I mean our lives are sort of filled with with music even if we're not particularly going to follow that as a career path you know and I've I love singing I love singing and I love particularly fine, you know, close harmony and singing in harmony. I sang in church. I was brought up Catholic and I sang. We, My dad used to want to go to the pub after church. And so he would go to the 11 o'clock full Latin requiem mass <laughs> because that way the pubs were open. You know, in England, the pubs were open to like, you know, 12, 30 or 1 or whatever. And so that way we, you know, go from the church to the pub. And he loved that. Um, so we never went to the family service, which was much more happy, clappy and sort of, you know, good for kids. And I never knew that other kids went to church because the only kids there <laughs> were me and my, my brothers and my brothers and my sister. But I learned to sing, you know, Gregorian plain chant from a very young age. And we had these dusty cardboard things. And I loved it, loved it, loved it. I loved it when it went into Lent because Lent, it was all sorrowful and mm. minor keys. And then when it burst out at Easter into this kind of like all this stuff, but all Gregorian sort of plain chant. And these were long services, you know. But so if I hear any of that music, that immediately transports me back Um to those times and just yeah music i've i've actually in in my beginnings of being in hospice of going into the hospice locally going there's a a um a nursing home that i i visit i have sung with a couple of the the people the ladies and gentlemen that i get to to be with and sit with um and i absolutely hope that there will be opportunities to sort of bring more of that I think it's 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 
It's exactly like the vibrate. It's the vibrations you're talking about. It's it, you then don't need to think. What do I? What should I be doing? Like should I be doing <laughs> something? There's no doing. There's being in the space that that music is, and you land on together. If you're with somebody who sings along, you're 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 catching each other, and and it takes away from ah. Uh, the banalities of spoken language, sorry to say it. I mean, I think spoken language is beautiful and wonderful, <laughs> but you just are in a different zone with yeah, music. It's kind of true, that cliche about music can speak when words can't. I do really think it's it's true. I think there are certain times and occasions in life when it's just yeah. all about whatever you want to call music, but you're not, you know, yeah. there's a lot of patience with memory loss still retain those melodies yeah it's incredible yeah. i think of when i was in labor and i all i wanted to play was super low notes on the piano and go oh <laughs> kind of like your gregorian chants <laughs> that felt amazing to me i would play bach but only the lowest voice <laughs> and i was like and i'm like this is ben probably was like what is this zombie sound coming out of me that's great i love that and i it's fascinating to me that I, I I like the way you said that you can have a musical experience and your your molly like everything has changed. And yeah. because if we're with people who are getting ready to die, to transition, we don't know what those moments may be. Mm-hmm. But to hold space in case they want to come out yeah. or in case a loved one of theirs says, this was their favorite lullaby yeah. or this yeah. is a song they love. Could we just sing it together? Or whatever the case may be. I think yeah. like you said, just standing open heart, being ready. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's funny though, because it does lead itself to um, <laughs> the potential for like something <laughs> really bad. I just thought we had this idea of <laughs> kind of going in there with like ukulele. <laughs> Let's go buy all this up. <laughs> Like, somebody, like, you know, really have an aversion to the ukulele. Well, I remember, like, the biddies one time we were asked to do rounds at this hospital. And I, it, was, it was sort of, I think, when we were, Carnegie Hall was, was sort of figuring out their outreach programs. And the biddies were always involved, but we had never done rounds. And I kind of felt like, you know, if I'm on the subway, I don't always want to be hearing music or like whatever that person is doing I'm in a mood it's like yeah. what makes me think that yeah everyone on this floor is gonna want to hear a melodica right now like they're probably like please go away <laughs> I know and it's really it is I mean it's it's super personal <laughs> super specific yeah I, I you know I'm kind of thinking wow I need to get my list down of what I'll have played in my room because seriously <laughs> if you play any of the stuff I don't want to hear I mean, wouldn't that be nice though to have to have as part of a plan oh, yeah. I love these yeah. people think about that for their funeral but I haven't yeah, heard no. a lot of people thinking about if you're with me could we be yeah. could I have this playing that's, I thought about it for my birth but it's really interesting that's part of the conscious dying coach tra- um mm. sort of uh coaching component of that course because you go through um what they call the five domains so like mm. the emotional domain the physical domain so for example in the physical domain it would be about what would you find most comfortable? Where, what environment would you want to be in? What, mm. You know, there's all yeah. these sorts of questions. You answer a lot of questions. You go quite deep into asking these questions that then makes up your how it might 
go if you could. And the idea of it is it's a coaching that is for people who may well have three months to live, but it's also a coaching for people who absolutely don't necess aren't necessarily looking at a kind of limited time. But it's a way of thinking about those things, thinking what, what would I what so what, what would you want? What do you it's think? Really what do you interesting. think? Um, of course, this is a snapshot in time. We're just where we are today. Yeah, Could yeah. change tomorrow. What musically? What would I want? Musically? Yeah. I mean, it's 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 very interesting. Like, there's all sorts of things that I hadn't thought of before, even that I moved here. But like, there was one question which was, what would be most important for you environmentally? And I realized, wow, if I couldn't look outside or be outside that I would find that very difficult you know I could... yeah I mean there, there was just a lot mm -hmm. in that where you just think oh actually and maybe that would be a useful thing for for somebody in my family to know right so then if I was then questioning about having treatment that meant that I couldn't possibly be outside there are some treatments like that which are very very sensitive to the sun to any kind of light um would I take that? Would I have that treatment? Mm. Would I? I don't know. I don't know. I don't have the answer, but it's interesting to think about Well, I'm just, it's just that. making me think about that word agency again. Of really, the more you can think about it in advance, the more yeah. agency you yeah. have over your own experience. Yeah, and it's curious to think about it, actually. Even though... I think also there's perf it's perfectly fair. I have a friend of mine who, um, you know, said, uh, I'll figure it out when it happens kind of thing. You know, and that, <laughs> I, I get that totally. Right. Um, but I find that even knowing that for me that's very important to mm. be outside, to be able to be outside or to see outside at least. Right. I didn't know that until I asked myself that question about environment. Yeah. Um, and knowing that means that, I'm outside way more <laughs> somehow. It's kind right. of interesting. It's actually yes. reflected back onto the way I live my life. Yes. Um, or that, or they had a conversation, or that it, it was a conversation within itself. Like I was already going out more, which made me think, yeah. oh, I need to be outside more kind of thing. I don't know. I think, I think these things are curious. Like yes. It's, it's come, sort of comes around. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot today, not about that specifically, but I've just been listening to a lot of music in a different way because I have space up here and I'm not around all of the things that distract me. And when I was having a deep listen today of piano music, I suddenly got really sad that I wasn't around, a, I'm not around a piano here. And I think it's very useful to write not around a piano. Um, but I suddenly was thinking, oh man, the piano is such a part of who I am that I was like, grieving to not be able to touch yeah. one today you can because i have one in the next room oh so okay it's, um it's like a keyboard piano but it's really oh. nice you're very welcome thank you but it just made me think <laughs> of the you know i've never thought about what would i want but right that the sound right. of a piano playing for me right. is transcendent and for someone else it completely might not be oh that's beautiful yeah but I, just this idea of even thinking about it is yeah. very new. At least I know you're saying that it sounds like there's a shift maybe in the way that a lot of people are thinking about hospice and this kind of things. But I haven't heard about it so much. So yeah. it's a shift for me. And I'm what I realized today, thinking about what you're saying about being outside, 
is just to even have that awareness that, oh, I miss this, yeah. means that I'm going to go back and maybe live my life in a little bit different way. Yeah. yeah. Where sometimes I look at it as a burden, like I should do this. or It's like, yeah. no, I, I need this. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. know, just, just it's, uh, this is all, it's just perspectives. It really yeah. changes your perspectives on the way you live. It does, and it informs life because we are on a piece of dust floating in the firmament. I mean, and it's beautiful, and we're not here for very long. Yeah. And I think, you know, it is at the bottom of every fear is that, you know, our our ultimate sort of demise, our non-being, like, talk about FOMO, you know, I mean, seriously. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, uh, but I think it's really, I don't know, I feel that it's an incredible gift of human consciousness that we can contemplate that we can think about that it can inform present our presence and our being here now um and i feel like i can't unsee that now you know i can't unsee it that's that's the that's the road that i want to be on that's beautiful thank you for talking with me vicky this is so beautiful (sighs) well and i you may not think this about yourself, but the way that you have just taught me has been completely informative, clear, personal, said with emotion and honesty. And, and you've really changed my thinking about it. So oh, wow. you're, you you're one of those that. people now. Thank you. Show.